everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to the 22nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, we've got the wonderful Hawk Blogger crew here to, uh, I don't know, dab your tears, um, you know, drown your sorrows as much as, as necessary. After a uh, one of the worst Seahawks performances we've seen maybe ever um, <laughs> this weekend. And uh, we'll be talking a lot, we'll talk a little bit about that. A lot about what comes next um, and uh, looking forward to hearing your questions and answering some of those that, that come up as well. So um, as always, let's welcome the guys in. Um, uh, we've got Nathan Ernst uh, looking super fly with, with uh, the well-coiffed mustache. Welcome, Nathan. So rocking the mustache. Thank you. Oh, am I muted? No, you're good. We no, I'm not. You perfect. Okay. All right, we're good. I'm here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, and then we've got Jeff Simmons up there holding down the fort in Canada. Welcome, as always, Jeff. And uh, Evan Hill, our resident cap expert and uh, uh, the guy most likely to have some sort of tantrum um, during the podcast. <laughs> so um, uh, welcome, guys. It's uh, always nice to uh, find some time to talk to you uh, throughout the week. And... I think we're going to go all over the place tonight. It's it's one of those kind of schizophrenic things, you know, where we've, you know, let's, let's start at least with, we got to touch on the game, um, you know, and, and I'm going to go left to right. We'll go Evan, then Jeff, then Nathan. Um, you know, what was your, what was your reaction to the game? How much were you braced for that? How much was it a shock? You know, just give us your uh, off the cuff reaction to what you saw on Sunday. I think uh, I think Brian, my my initial reaction was disappointment. It was, how did this happen? Uh, how did this happen on such a like disastrous level from top to bottom? Um, but slowly, my disappointment turned into anger, and I'm at the point of the week where I'm really pissed off about Sunday's loss. Now, this was a top to bottom failure across the entire group whether that be coaches, um, players, whatever. This was a complete and utter failure. Russell Wilson, I'm disappointed in you. Pete Carroll, I'm disappointed in you. John Schneider, I love you. Um, Paul Richardson, I'm disappointed in you. Jimmy Graham, I'm disappointed in you. Offensive line, I'm disappointed in you. I am so incredibly disappointed and pissed off. 
This team knew what was at stake coming into Sunday's game. This was the division. This was, you know, I, I saw a stat before the game or a, or, a, or a playoff stat before the game saying that if the Rams had lost, they would have dropped from the three seed to the eight seed out of the playoffs. If, C, if the Seahawks had won that game, everything looks different. This is completely different. We're talking about, we're talking about whether the Rams are legit or not. If the Seahawks win on Sunday, they'd be out of the playoffs. Um, you know, if it ended after that week and to me, it's just completely mind blowing how absolutely clear they were unexpected. They were completely unprepared for Sunday. I put this on, on, on two kind of two blame areas. Number one, poor execution. This team, I'm telling you right now, is more talented than the Rams, even with the injuries. And it might be a little bit of a hot take, but this team is more talented than the Rams. They have should, should have shown up on Sunday at the clink, divisional showdown, playoffs, boom or bust. They didn't show up. They didn't care. And, 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 and it was garbage. It was disappointing. It, it was completely embarrassing to this franchise and, and, and to these fans. And, you know, we, we saw tons of fans um, – leave early, turn off the TV early. I, I think that's a little too far, but the, what this team put on the TV yes, on Sunday was disrespectful. It was disrespectful to my television screen. I should, it, it, it was disastrous. So that, I'm sorry, that's my rant. I need to end. There's a lot there, Jeff, uh, including the, the notion that the, the Seahawks are more talented than the Rams. I think that's a, that is a pretty hot take from where I sit. So, so tell us what where your reactions were and and your reactions to Evan uh, as always. So Evan, Evan and Nathan weren't on with us last week, and if you guys heard our show, if anyone out there heard our show, none of us expected the Seahawks to win that game. At least me, Brian, and William last week. We, with Bobby injured and KJ down, all the injuries on defense, we were expecting. But when the three of us were talking last week, I got the feeling none of us thought we had a chance. The way that it happened in that fashion, that the team looked so hopeless, that was a really interesting feeling. They haven't looked that hopeless probably since the Jim Moore year, I think. And just the way that they just got beat from the start to the end, like that McAvoy fumble drove me nuts just right off the top. They, like what a terrible way to start the game. And then the punt return and the Jimmy Graham doesn't catch that ball in his hand, although the pass wasn't great. Just yeah, the, I, I agree with what Evan said. That was a top-to-bottom failure. They looked absolutely hopeless. And I, I didn't think that would be the case. I thought it would be a close game, but just the injuries would catch up with them and the Rams would pull away from it. That was my thought going in. The fact that it went like that, and it was 20, what, 27 nothing, I like midway through the second quarter, and the Rams just – remember a couple of years ago, like right – it was 2012, right towards – when the Seahawks first started getting going with Russell Wilson, they played the Niners. It was like a 42 to 10 game or something like that in Seattle. That game felt like a lot like that on the opposite side. And yeah, it, it finally got me thinking like, is this thing over? Like, do they have to start again? Is Pete Carroll's message wearing thin? Like, I, I hate when I get these thoughts. An overreaction to maybe one game, but just you look at the names on defense. You got Bradley McDougal, and you got Terrence Garvin, and you got Byron Maxwell, like Tim, and Bobby Wagner on one hamstring. It's like these aren't the guys that have made Seattle. I mean, these are a bunch of backups. So we mentioned last week on the show two things Seattle needed to win because we knew they'd be in trouble. We needed Russell Wilson to play out of his mind, and Seattle's defensive line to take over the game. And both of those 
areas were absolutely horrible in this game. Absolutely horrible. So even the slim chance I thought they had, they played horrible. So yeah, I felt disgusted. I felt let down. I just it was hard for me to watch a team that looked hopeless. And that, was, that was my feeling. All right, Nathan. Uh, we got some gloomy gusses here. Uh, you got any sunshine to offer, or you know, what did you think of, of what you saw? Uh, the sunshine I have to offer is that it was very freeing in about the third quarter to realize I didn't have to care about this game. I don't have to care about this team. I can just enjoy whatever happens. Um, <clears throat> in fact, at halftime, I went to the game with my dad, and at halftime, uh, he was, uh, they were already kind of planning their exit. Uh, and we were talking about what he would need to see to stay. And obviously, there was, you know, scenarios where the Seahawks get it close. Uh, but we were also talking about, like, uh, the Rams weren't very far off from setting the uh, sing most points in a single game record. Uh, and we agreed that we would all stay to see if the Rams would like, I think the, the record's like 72 points or 73 points. Can the Rams score more than 72 points? So at, at that point, I was almost just rooting for the history of it to just see the Seahawks get completely smashed in an interesting way. But yeah, I mean, uh, it was surprising to see it go that way. Um, this is a team that's always fought. Um, I don't really get the impression that they so much stopped fighting as they just looked completely outclassed. Uh, and, you know, I think if you're looking for silver linings, if you have problems with this team, maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe this is something that uh, forces them to change and adapt and, you know, evolve maybe. Um, but it was a shit show, uh, and there wasn't anything really good about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, shit show is. Uh, I think that's um, an insult to shit shows. Um, but <laughs> but I understand. Uh, I understand the sentiment. I, I, you know, you guys are you guys all. I think um, uh, have interesting takes. Nathan, uh, I love uh, having you on the show for a variety of reasons. One of it is you, you guys see things differently, um, and I cannot imagine ever. Um, being interested in seeing the Seahawks lose 70, whatever. I don't want them in the record bricks for that. And I can totally I appreciate that. the sentiment. I paid hard earned money. Yeah, to exactly. That awful football game. I wanted something out of it. If it was, I, <laughs> remember the time the Seahawks gave up the most points in NFL history? I was there. Like, I, I you got to get like that. I mean, it was so bad. I think so that is a really practical, mature way to look at it. I'm I'm neither of those things when it comes to to the Seahawks. Like, uh, it it was all you know. I don't know how you guys handle those situations. Um, you know, I, I've definitely I you know you see the gray in my beard. I've I've been through enough of these now that that uh, the way I handled these when I was younger versus the way I handle them now is quite a bit different. Um, you know, there's a lot more like horrible things that I said and did when I was younger, and now. I've learned to kind of give myself distance and buffer myself from that stuff because <laughs> I can't take it emotionally, like getting that invested and then seeing them, uh, them, you know, just lay it, lay a turd like that. Uh, actually part of the reason I've got into blogging and writing about the teams that I love is because I, it hurts so much when they lose. And so I want to had I wanted to have some idea and some anticipation of whether I really thought there was a way to expect them to win or lose or, or, or how that would happen. So 
I could kind of prep myself and have it not just hit me like a freaking brick to the brain. Um, and this one, I did not expect it to be 42 to seven. You know, I, I did not. But as, as Jeff said, I absolutely, you know, I don't know. There's different ways to handle it. I, I expect them to lose. I expect them to lose by a decent amount. And um, I don't particularly like going out there and being the guy ahead of the game, telling Seahawks fans, hey, your team's going to lose. It even pisses me off when I think the team's going to lose and I look in the, the Seattle Times and one of the writers there is picking the, the other team to, to beat them. I like that pisses me off, even if I think that they're right. So like, I don't want to add to that. I try to take it even keel, uh, you know, and not promote, you know, negativity ahead of the games. But I had very little confidence um, based on the, the, the situation with the linebackers. I just didn't see how they were going to stop Todd Gurley. And I know now that sounds like, okay, of course, because he, he went off. But I just didn't see it. I, I, I think I, I think that um, based on how they had trouble defending the run against the Jaguars, who I don't think are as strong of a run team, even though they're number one in the NFL, I don't think they're as talented um, as, as um, the Rams are, especially because the Rams have the passing game to, to balance it out in a way that makes it really hard to sell out against one part of that um, group. In any event, definitely didn't like what I saw. It was not totally shocked by it and uh, let's let's i mean let's go on evan you said that you think that that the rams are definitely that the seahawks are definitely more talented than the rams i don't see it dude i, I definitely didn't see it sunday and you know i think aaron donald i would say is better than any player potentially on the seahawks i mean that that's a Potentially a hot take, but I think that that's possible. I, I think that Todd Gurley, you know, you know, I think I think Russell and 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 Donald are kind of in competition for top dog. Earl's up there as well. Um, but you know, Todd Gurley, take out Russell Wilson, he's better than probably any other player on the Seahawks offense. I think Andrew Whitworth is probably better than any other player on the Seahawks offense. Um, oh, Doug Baldwin? Yeah, I think Andrew Whitworth is a better left mm -hmm. tackle than Doug Baldwin is uh, a receiver. You think Whitworth is the top 10 uh, left tackle? I do. I do. I think Whitworth is borderline Hall of Fame. Yeah. I don't think that's a crazy argument, to be honest. I think just going off what you were saying, Brian, though, is the attention is a lot there's a lot of attention on our defense right now for giving up what what was it like 42 points something like that yeah. um there's not enough attention on how incompetent disrespectful disgusting how absolutely repulsive our offense appeared on sunday oh my god top yeah. to bottom failure players brandon nickavoy Oh my God, what happened? Like, there's attention on our defense, rightfully so, but there's not enough attention on our offense for how absolutely inept they were on Sunday, both coaches and execution-wise. I totally agree. I totally agree, and, and I kind of wrote about that in that, look, the first quarter of that game, I think it was like 
six nothing you know after the the, the rams got the ball at the 50 yard line twice or, or you know even better than that with one of the possessions um i thought the defense was actually holding together remarkably well um the offense is the one that didn't have any injuries to speak of right the special teams didn't really have any injuries to speak of and you pick on the offense i'll pick on the special teams you know I know Sarah, Sarah Colonna follows and she's great. And I love John Ryan as a person and as a Seahawk, I don't want to see John Ryan on this team anymore. Like he is going on 37 or was 36 or whatever it is. The guy does not have the leg he once did. And you're talking about a guy that's like 30th in the NFL and net average, um, you know, uh, as a punter. And you're spending, I think, next year like three million, over three million in the cap on this guy. Like, enough. Like, Johnny Hecker, undrafted. Steve, uh, Greg Zerline, sixth round pick. Like, why, why wouldn't we? Why can't we? And why haven't we spent any of our late round picks or our undrafted stuff to bring in bleeping competition at those spots? It never made sense to me. I, I, I was angry when they signed Jermaine Curse. I was equally angry when they signed John Ryan. I was like, why are we spending money there of all places? And if we are, why are we not bringing in competition? Blair Walsh's contract wasn't guaranteed from what I understood. We could have brought in some competition and, and known whether he was ready. So like, that stuff really bothers me. And the way the special teams played both last like against Jacksonville and against uh, the Rams, you're not gonna, You're just not going to be a championship team with a special teams that looks like that. I don't know, Jeff. Like, where where your thoughts are on that? Yeah, John Ryan had a really bad game. Brian, you've been seeing this all year. But early in those games, when the they they needed important points, Ryan just totally there was nothing on his kicks. And the coverage units have been have been rough the last few weeks. Farrell Cooper just dominated them. They're kicking the ball with Tyler Lockett. Like, they're asking him to take it. He can't get anything. They're kicking it to the ten. He's ending up at the 20. And so the speed of the Rams special teams unit, who might be the best special teams unit in the league, that's what Seattle used to look like, where they're just flying down the field. And outside of, like, Nico Thorpe, and they haven't really they haven't really stood out lately. And the last two weeks, it's been a huge part of the game. They've had huge returns. I've swung the field and – yeah, I think I think I haven't made a good point though. Man, the offense. Like we knew we, we talked last week, Ryan. We knew the defense was in trouble. It's one thing to lose Sherman, Chancellor, Averill. Then you had KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner on one hamstring essentially, where this whole game is speed and range and that throws away. That's understandable. The defensive line is a different story, but the back seven, this is a backup level unit right now. So like, I don't I can't hold them too responsible. The offense, man, the offensive line has been a big topic for us all year. And the offensive line had really started to show some progress. They held up, I thought, pretty well against Jacksonville, considering how good that front is. But, man, that was as bad as an offensive line game. Wow, Aaron Donald was running through double teams like it was nothing. And Robert Quinn was running around Dwayne Brown like it was nothing. And all game, Russell was not great in the game. There was a lot of mistakes he made. But, man, Seeing the offensive line revert to that form after all that progress, to me, that was just as devastating as anything. That's such an important group of this team going forward. See those guys just take a giant step back and get completely owned at home. To me, that was as disappointing as anything. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the pieces there that, that was hard, I don't know if it's easy to see on, on the TV copy, but, you know, Nathan, you were there. I don't know if you're watching on, on special teams on coverage when we were punting the ball. Um, Rams were double teaming both our gunners, and our gunners were not within 10 yards of the punt returner um, in most cases. And sometimes it was like 15 yards. Like they were, I was watching Nico Thorpe, who's really generally been really good, like just get nowhere. He couldn't get around them. And it's not hard to return the ball if there's no one there to tackle you. Um, and vice versa for, for Tyler Lockett, it's pretty hard to return the ball if people are at your feet, you know, as soon as you catch it. But you, you brought up a, a different point um, around the offensive line. And Nathan, I know you've looked at the offensive line all year. This was a game where I kind of thought, okay, if the Seahawks could get something going, it's going to be because this is the best offensive line group they've had facing the Rams in a while. Um, they've been playing better. They've been blocking for the run better. They've been blocking for the pass better. And they did actually, even before they had Dwayne Brown, they did okay in the first game against the Rams. Not great, but okay. What the hell happened? It, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Dwayne Brown had been playing pretty well. Um, different guys in the line have played well at times. Uh, and they, I mean, <clears throat> Aaron Donald is, you know, whatever, uh, he's amazing, right? I mean, just unbelievable player, completely unblockable at times. And that changes the entire dynamic. But, uh, you know, you continue to have complete failures in a position group. Maybe it's not the players, right? We've seen a lot of players over time. Um, we know what Dwayne Brown, what his pedigree is. Uh, we know how he played um, earlier. Uh, and the more time he's been here, you know, I mean, I think he easily had his worst game against the Rams, and Robert Quinn's not an easy matchup, but, like, I, I, I don't know. I've, been, I've banged this drum a lot of times. I don't know how many more times, I, you know, people want to hear me bang it, but, like, Tom Cable is probably a bad offensive line coach. There's just not a, a lot of ways around that, and so here we are. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll kind of get back to the offensive line when we talk about where we go from here, but um Robel who's watching uh watching live asked a question what we got what we thought about the uh the drama after the game so you know Earl Thomas making his comments about hey Bobby maybe shouldn't have played guy couldn't get side to side and Bobby tweeting you know Earl get get my name out of your mouth um before he deleted it what do you guys do you guys um Put anything to that? Do you, you, you think that there's anything there that's worth you know paying attention to? Um, Jeff, why don't we start with you? I just think the team, the frustration has been boiling over for a couple weeks now. You saw how that Jacksonville game ended. You saw the team, they just, they don't respond well to situations like this. You saw how that Super Bowl ended a couple years ago where they're fighting with the Patriots on the one-yard line. Seattle does not lose very well. They never have. This group of guys doesn't. And Earl and Bobby are both very prideful guys. And Bobby came out today and said, "I he handled it terribly. And I think Bobby kind of embarrassed himself, to be honest. And I think he was the first to admit it today. And 
at that point, I was just, I, I didn't want to see anything Seahawks. I needed a night off at that point. I was just so disappointed. But outside of that, uh, it's just uh, how these guys respond to losses all the time. You've seen it since that Super Bowl almost. Any, uh, Evan or Nathan, you, you guys feel like there's any dif any different than Jeff there uh, on the, the Bobby Earl performance? Just building off of what Jeff said, a little bit of a different direction, though. Um, I, th I think this team's really close. A lot of these guys are really close. Brothers fight. This this team is a very emotional squad, um, clearly in terms of how Pete runs this team, keeps players in line, you know, how far he lets, lets them act out, all that type of stuff. This is just kind of the other end of the sword you get when you run a loose ship with a bunch of alpha male you know mentalities who are highly competitive and always want to win and brothers fight i mean i i will say this though i think bobby handled it extremely well today in the press conference and how he responded to it i thought like you know coming out immediately where he's just like yep i screwed up this is what happened i will do better i i thought that was a phenomenal response to the situation so i, I actually don't think it's a bigger it's a really big deal it's this is the team we've always rooted for. We, they're emotional. What's new? Yeah, um, I, I kind of agree. I, I didn't think there was much there to to pay attention to, but um, you know, one of the places I'd like to kind of to, to to push push into is all right. So this was one performance. Um, you know, my reaction to it was, you know. I, Fuck that game, excuse me. But like, it, the game happened. There's not much to, not much really to learn from it, other than um, look, the Rams to me, absolutely are the best team in the division. I don't think it's even a question. And I think that they are arguably the the most balanced team in the NFL across all three phases. Um, football outsiders certainly think so. Um, but. Uh, that kind of turns attention to like, what do the Seahawks do now? Like, um, and there's a bunch of stuff that came out. I wrote my column. Um, I went through a bunch of folks that I think could, could move on. Like specifically Sheldon Richardson, don't sign him. Paul Richardson, don't sign him. Um, uh, Bradley McDougal, don't sign him. Uh, you know, I could go on there. Um, the hottest take by far that got like lots of attention around was Davis uh, Sue, who was like, "Hey, I agreed with most of what you wrote, Brian, but a couple things I would have done differently." And I asked him what, and one of the things he said was, "You know, I think they should consider trading Russell Wilson." And uh, that that blew up. Um, what really blew it up was I was like, "All right, well, if that happened." not saying I think it will happen. In fact, I don't think it will happen. Um, you know, I think the Seahawks would, would go after Alex Smith. I think that would be their stopgap. And while they found their, their next QB. Um, wow. That was a flashpoint. Um, so let's, let's kind of start out there. And, um, uh, you know, Evan, uh, <laughs> I know your feelings on on this, but but uh, you know, start with if you can your reaction to, you know, 
your perspective on where the team should go, um, you know, what players you think they should move on from, and and and, and uh, you know what your reaction is to the the concept of of Russell Wilson being someone that they move. Okay, yeah, that, that's a really good question. So um, let's start on Russell Wilson first. I'm done with Pete Carroll before I'm done with Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll is not, you know, going to be around for the next 15 years. Russell Wilson is going to keep you competitive for the next 15 years. Once you find a franchise quarterback, you don't let him walk. I think he's our, our most valuable asset. I think he's more important than any coach we have, any executive we have, any player we have. It's about Russell Wilson. As long as he, Russell Wilson stays who Russell Wilson is, it's about Russell Wilson for me. Um, how we approach this offseason, Seattle has it. Seattle's in a little bit of a weird predicament here with a lack of, you know, draft picks coming up for this next draft. And that's a problem because we have an aging defense and there's a couple big name players that are going to be pretty expensive and a year older. And I'm just looking at over the cap right now. And I want to preface this take by saying I absolutely love this player Love, love, love him. He's one of my favorite Seahawks players of all time. But Richard Sherman, coming off an ACL tear, you know, going to be Achilles, right? Achilles. Oh, sorry, yeah. Achilles. Come, you know, going to be thirty next year. He has a thirteen point two mil cap hit in twenty eighteen, and if you cut Richard Sherman, you save eleven million dollars against the cap. That's a lot of money. That's something we should potentially consider. Um, you, I, I think, I think with an aging defense, you got to start making some really tough decisions. And you know, do you want to tilt, you know, cap spending towards the offense? Do you actually want to start selling out and building around Russell? All those types of questions. But I would rather not have my money invested in aging defensive stars even a year later at this point. Um, it might be worth it. It might be smart to get out of this a year early and, and, you know, just cut him loose stray or cut him, cut him loose quickly. So, you know, he has a chance to find another team and stuff, but uh, it really sucks to say, because I absolutely love Richard Sherman and, you know, his trash talking and all the stuff back to when he was a rookie and all that stuff. Like I love Richard Sherman, but I think he's a, I think he's a person you have or a player you have to consider cutting because he opens up a lot of free space um, the whole Cam Chancellor situation is really, really tough because if he retires or if you cut him, you're only saving like two mil against the cap. He just signed an extension, so the dead money is like almost to his cap number next year. So if you cut Cam Chancellor, you're going to pay for all that dead money immediately accelerated against the cap and only save like two or three million dollars. Two or three million dollars, it's something, but the, the bad news is that extension, if he retires, doesn't look great. Um, and then the, another obvious player you can cut is Cliff Averill, who's also re considering retirement after his next stinger. Uh, you save $7.5 million against the cap by cutting him only 500 K in dead money. That is like a no brainer to me. Um, considering his age, all that stuff. And then Jeremy Lane's making 7.25 million in 2018. There's a better chance of the Seahawks, you know, hiring me and, uh, paying me 7.5 million to play cornerback than pay uh jimmy lane in 2018 that money's insane to me yeah they they signed that deal with without him expecting to play in 2018 for the team so those are like my big candidates to to cut but like you said brian i think 
the Seahawks need to be very careful about who they choose to re-sign when, when, you know, when considering Jimmy Graham and Sheldon. I am not about investing money into aging older players. This roster needs to get younger. It needs to get more competitive. And it needs to be P players. Let's let's stop buying so many players in free agency and trades. Let's start. Let's continue. You know, let's let's get back to kneeling draft picks and, and you know drafting and developing players. So got to be super careful entering this off season. Yeah. So I have, have a question for I have a question for Evan. Go ahead. <laughs> so you mentioned we do have the draft pick the issue with they gave up the pick for Sheldon. They gave up the pick for Dwayne Brown. Why would you cut Sherman instead of trade him? Uh, my initial, like right off the bat response is, I don't think he carries any trade value, right? You don't think anything for him? I mean, after a major injury like that in approaching 30 years old, I don't think you get anything significant. I mean, I mean, obviously if, if you do get something significant, then trade him. Yes. Yeah. But I just assumed it wasn't an option. Like 30 year old corner teams are afraid of the Rebus effect of just Boom, and then hitting like a cliff. <laughs> I mean, maybe they do. Maybe we do get tra- tra- some trade value out of them. You get a fourth rounder for him? Oh, I mean, I mean, I'm celebrating if that happens. Champagne, everybody come over to my place. It's popping. I mean, I, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> what Jacksonville get for Darius? Or what Jacksonville give up for Darius? They gave up like a six, right? And he doesn't even have the cap hit that Sherm has. Oh no, Darius has a major cap hit. Like, but not for Jacksonville, I don't think, because of the way it breaks out with guarantees and everything. I don't know if that's right, but it's at least similar. And you know, Darius is like what 26, 27, something. Yeah, trouble though. Yeah, he's like hitting. He's hitting against the Jacksonville cap, like ten mil this year, ten mil, uh, or no, ten mil in twenty eighteen, ten mil in twenty nineteen, and then it escalates. Um, Sherman would hit against if you traded him, whoever, whichever team took him in, would he'd count eleven million against their cap, right? Right, just next year though. That's so yeah. for just next year, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he, you're talking about a guy that has the same cap hit, and Darius got a six and one that coming off an Achilles tear. Yeah, so just, trade value is pretty questionable. You just got to remember though, like cor- there's obvious this obviously this stereotype that corners hit a wall at thirty, and I think it's kind of generally true. Are you sure you want to, you know? have 13 million tied up in Richard Sherman. We could be spending it somewhere else. We could buy a nice offensive lineman. We could, you know, buy enough. I don't know. We, I just well, so, don't know. So, so I'm going to pause you there. I, I mean, I think, I think Jeff, one of my questions when I hear this is, um, yes, we should be smart with where we're spending our money, but trading or cutting someone like Richard Sherman that then begs the question, what are you, what are you using that money for? So um, it, it doesn't necessarily strike me that the CX should go out and start spending a bunch of money on free agents and they don't necessarily have a lot of players that they're ready to start signing to extensions or do they, from your perspective? Was that to Jeff or was that, that was to Jeff? Jeff? Oh. No, I just found, I don't, did any of you guys read Mike Silver's article this week? Mm-hmm. I heard about it, but I did not read it. But Mike Silver's very – I used to work in the journalism. Mike Silver's very close with John Schneider. And I found his uh, – he mentioned that Sherman, Averill, Cam, Bennett, and maybe even Earl might all be gone next year. And he had spent the day uh, – Aaron Levine tweeted that he had spent the day with Schneider on Saturday. And he even mentioned that Pete might be gone. So that 
to me, that all jumped off the page because to me, trading Earl is absolutely crazy. But when I see it in his column, who's I know very tight with Schneider, my head was been, been spinning the last three days, and I've been trying to make all these numbers work. And I know there's gaps of the picks. Maybe that's where Seattle sees they can get these picks back. But to me, trading these guys, I'm with Brian. Where, where are you putting this money into? Because all these guys you mentioned, I don't see them. I don't see any of them as must resigns. I don't see Frank Clark as a guy I need to extend early based on his inconsistency. Tyler Lockett still, we don't know what he is. Where's the money going? Uh, I, see, I, see the, I see two sides of this, but when I see that in Mike Silver, especially his article, knowing his connections with this team, man, I've, I've been struggling with that because trading Earl or trading Sherman, man, that, that's hard. That's hard to swallow. Well, let's take those. Let's take those individually. And, and Nathan, I want to throw it to you in a second. Talk about the, the Pete thing at, at least. But like, I see them as all different items. So, so Bennett. You know, we talked about it in the preseason. I saw it in training camp. I was like, this guy doesn't look the same. It looks like he's he's fading. And he's been okay. He's been pretty good at times overall as a defensive lineman. But I think he's just on the downward slope. I don't think there's any doubt. I don't think he's going to get better. Um, it's like I mean, top 10 in tackles for loss and sacks combined. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that he's not in decline mode, but I think he's maybe been better than we thought he is. But, I, but he I, is, I, I guess, mean, he is where he is in his career. It's a rel, it's relative. I don't, I have not seen Michael Bennett take over games the way he's taken over games in the past years. I mean, I think. He is a technician and he's a smart vet. So I think he's a guy that can still be a productive, like Richard Seymour, Willie McGinnis were productive defensive linemen for years because they were talented and smart and, and knew how to play. Um, you know, Terrell Suggs, you know, has, has, has stuck around and been productive that way. Um, but Bennett just doesn't, I've not seen him dominate the way he, he has in the past, but, but we, can, we can agree to disagree there. The Earl thing specifically, I'll skip some of the others. My read there, and the only thing I read into, a, you know, maybe if anything with the the Bobby and the uh, him going back and forth and with the way the game went, it's hard for me to imagine Earl sticking around through, and wanting to stick around through a transition, like, and, you know, through a dip. And, like, if if Sherm and Cam, you know, um, are gone and it's just Earl left back there, I don't know. Like everyone says that he was like, uh, it was just a momentary thing about him talking about retiring last year when he got hurt. My read is that was absolutely legit. Like I think Earl, I think Earl has been debating how much he wants to be staying playing football since the team won the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, I think he came back this year and had a great year, but if the team disintegrates around him, I'm just not sure he's going to be, as into it. And so that could be a different reason why they move on from him. But, but Nathan, I mean, what's your take on the idea of, you know, um, any of these items that we've brought up that, that you wanted to talk about, whether it's Pete or Russell or, or any of these other items? So I think, you know, talking about guys you got to bring back, it's Frank Clark, right? That's the guy they got to pay. Um, and so whatever they got to do to make room for him, you know, they got to do, uh, and that's because with Clark, you know, and what they should, how they should approach all of these decisions is who is going to be a contributor to the next great CX team, right? Um, 
But with that, as long as you have rest, you're likely to be contending, right? For playoffs, at least. Um, and so do I kind of had the same uh, same question that you did about Sherm, right? If you cut Sherm, what do you spend that money on, right? Um, and do you, if you don't have trade value, do you maybe just keep him and, you know, at least a decent defense, a good defense um, to put around Russ and to, you know, look, they may not be Super Bowl contenders for a couple of years, but, you know, you can Falcons your way to a Super Bowl title, right? Get in the playoffs and see what happens. A single elimination, anything can happen. So, like, they don't want to just, uh, they got to turn this defense over. They also don't want to just tank. So it's a weird kind of tightrope situation. But now, when you talk about guys who maybe can be a contributor on the next great uh, CFs team, Sheldon's still in that range. And if cutting Sherm helps you keep Sheldon and gamble there, like, I, I'm not, like, I, I don't think they have to bring Sheldon back. And if they don't bring Sheldon back, I'm not going to cry about it. But if they say, hey, you know, Sheldon's young enough that we think he can be a contributor on the next great CR team, and we're willing to cut a guy like Sherman with all his question marks at this point um, to keep him around and, and see if he can do that, I don't hate that, you know. Um, but, how yeah, I mean, these you, next How much years, would you be willing to spend on Sheldon Richardson? Uh, you know, I don't think you can get away with much less than $14, 15000000 a year. Uh, but you know, but hey, you know, look at this team. If they if they sign if they cut Sherman and they sign him and they've got him for two years and then they can get out free, right on that third year, right? Well, who cares at that point, right? Again, like the next great CR team is probably two, three years down the road at best, and so they can't afford to gamble on him and say maybe we can get him back to that you know really really dominant place and. If they want to gamble on that, I, I'm okay with that. You know, they should be looking at kind of that kind of stuff at this point. Um, trading Earl seems crazy to me. Um, I would do everything possible to keep him around, even if he's kind of a malcontent. Um, because I think, again, like the guys that you look at right now, Earl, Bobby, Frank, they can be contributors from the next great CX team. Can Sheldon? Maybe. He's young enough, right? Um so I don't, I don't see any sense really in, in moving sure or uh, Earl and, you know, to touch on the rest thing, absolutely zero sense in that. It, it, no matter how you cut it, no matter what your reasons are, it makes no sense. Do not do that. Well, yeah, I, I think, I think it makes close to zero sense and I think it's pretty much zero chance of happening. Like, um, the only reason I can think of, of why you would look at moving Russell Wilson is if, you're Pete Carroll and you were in the in the meeting rooms all the time and you were seeing things that fans simply weren't seeing, like his ability to improve in certain areas or his ability to execute certain plays that they've tried over and over and over again and not seen the growth. We wouldn't know that. Like we, we, we would have like some opinions and we might we might be putting blame in different places. He may be seeing like just there's a portion of the playbook we can't run because of of this guy and um he also has the most value um no doubt about it and so if Pete Carroll were to put those two things together and say his philosophy is he's been very clear he does not want to build a team around one player so that if that one player gets hurt or is unavailable that the whole team collapses he does not want to build a 
Patriot-like team. That's not his philosophy. He, he wants to build a team that is balanced and has a, you know, has a quarterback that can, you know, he's always used the term point guard. But he wants to have a guy that can distribute the ball, make good decisions, um, be mobile. Um, and he's got that, right? He's definitely got that. But um, if he feels like in order to restock all these positions on defense and some of the stuff on offense, in order to get that balance, he's going to have to get a few top picks in order to do that. Maybe he can get three first round picks for Russell Wilson. Probably not, but maybe, maybe then in that situation, you know, he's like, yep, I want to improve the entire roster. I know more about this guy than anybody else knows about this guy. And, um, you know, I'm convinced that we could get by with, you know, <laughs> he's done it before. He said, I will, we'll sign Tavares Jackson, you know, like, and he, I didn't like that. He went out and got Charlie Whitehurst. I didn't like that, but I'm just trying to think about from a Pete Carroll perspective where he could get to that logic um, and why I don't think that there's 0% chance that that stuff happens. Um, I do think it's, it's super unlikely. Um, and I'm certainly not advocating for it, but um, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Um, Cause really, I think what we're all acknowledging is there's not an easy path. It's not like the team needs like, it's not like 2012 where you're like, okay, we just need a pass rush, add some pass rush to this team and we're freaking money. Um, it's not like that. Uh, I, I think that, I think almost across the defense, you've got, you've got to have upgrades. Um, you've lot, you know, Cliff Averill's definitely gone. I think Sheldon Richardson, whatever we say is gone. I mean, I think he commented today. Oh yeah. There's a possibility. I'll be back. I heard him on with, with, uh, who was it? it was, I think Danny, Danny, David Moore. And he was just, he was making side, you know, kind of offhand comments about like, yeah, there's not much to do here. And I could just hear in his voice that like small town Seattle was not doing it for him. Um, and you add that in, you add the fact that he's had almost no production, like statistically as one sack. Um, I don't know that the scheme is a great fit for him in terms of what he wants to do. Um it's just hard for me to imagine them like saying, and from a Seahawks perspective, he is not dominating games. He is not totally changing games. He just isn't. So spending like 10 plus million on him, I just like, by the time he's, you know, by the time he, the team's ready to contend again, I feel like he'll be 28, 29. And, and, you know, um, I don't know. So th that one to me seems crazy. Jimmy Graham's another one we haven't talked about. I mean, we talked about it before. Uh, Evan, where are you? I mean, you, you, you've, you've been on both sides of this. Where are you on the Jimmy Graham question right now? Yeah, that's a funny question because like two weeks into the season when he had like three catches for 27 yards, I was like, we got to get this dingus out of here. I am so sick of him. But, you know, obviously he went on like a nine touchdown roll or something like that. So, but he's been absolutely like, completely non-existent the past two games now. So, uh, when, when it boiled, I, I've wavered back and forth. But right now, I think at this mo current moment, I think I'm clearly leaning towards letting him walk. Just getting older, I don't think, um, don't think he wants to take a big pay cut. I don't think he wants, you know, his, his current deal is still the top of the market. He's still 
you know, I, I, I don't think he wants to go in the opposite direction. So I, I don't, I just, I don't see him as a necessity on this offense to function. I just, I'd rather invest the money in the offensive line somewhere. I just, I, I, I don't think, somebody else brought this take up, and maybe it was Davis. I don't remember who it was. But it doesn't feel like he gives 100% effort on every single play. And I don't feel, I don't feel like that's a hot take. There are some plays where, like, he clearly gives up and does, it's just the body language. It's, he just doesn't look like he 100% cares all the time. I may, maybe that's a weird personal bias frustration, but I would not resign him at what I think he's going to ask for, close to his current deal. How about you, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd block from him. I think you need a more versatile tight end. I don't think he's outside of his red zone production has really made them better in any way. And the amount of decisions financially that the Seahawks have to make, they really have to be prudent going forward of who they can spend on and who they can't. I think the big picture problem, and it's kind of hit now, and it's, it's a big thing going forward, is the Seahawks have really brought all of their core players back. They've let some good players walk. Golden Tate, Bruce Irvin, Byron Maxwell at the time. But they've signed everyone. And they all got old kind of together. And this has kind of left them in this position where they're going to have to kind of retool going forward. So now you're in a position where you're going to have to clear out a lot of money, number one. And number two, you're going to have to eat some money, dead money and bad contracts. You really got it. You're at a, almost a precious point where Pete's a little older, Russell's still in the prime. You've got to be really careful. I know we've talked all year about Sheldon, and I was an advocate of Sheldon. I've kind of flipped now that I've dug into the numbers a lot more. So with Jimmy, unless you can get him at a really good value, I think it's a no-brainer to walk from him. I think you need a guy at that spot who's going to be more versatile in terms of blocking, in terms of how you want to run formations, in terms of – I know we mentioned Zach Miller on the show, but I, mean, I saw you tweeting about him today. Even in 2014, Zach Miller only played five games. He got hurt really early. I think it was maybe four games. And Luke Wilson was the number one tight end, and the offense functioned in a very smooth way in the playoffs, and they were able to play that power-style football, even with Luke Wilson and Moiaki and Alfred. So I think you, you don't need that A-level tight end. I don't think it's a prudent investment in money, and I think Seattle – look at the big picture. I've been talking to Davis a lot this week. We've been going back and forth on text all week. And I don't, I don't agree with him about Russell. I think that's just too crazy. I think finding a quarterback is so difficult, especially with all the defensive changes. I, th- I think, which is overall big picture right now, they've got to be very careful where they spend their money. So someone like Sheldon and Jimmy, I just don't think you're going to get value out of that going forward. And I think the reason they're looking at why Earl might have been mentioned as much as me or Evan might love Earl. And uh, Earl's probably my favorite player on the team and has been since. They drafted him. I think the reason they might move on is for Brian. I think going forward, they might worry about, are you going to get great value to him on the extension? You're going to need to pay him. In a scenario where they've lost a lot of draft picks, that second for Shelton and the third for Wayne Brown, those draft picks, unfortunately, is probably moving early. Well, I mean, look, I'm looking at the free agents for next year, um, and I'm looking at different groups. And tight end group, um, some of the names that are out there are interesting. I mean, um, would you rather have Austin Safarian Jenkins, 25 years old? Um, you know, yes, he's got some challenges, probably for 
third of the price of Jimmy Graham? Um, would you rather have Austin Spray and Jenkins and Anthony Fasano, um, who is the closest thing to Zach Miller as a blocker at tight end that's left in the NFL? And would probably, I mean, his his contract now is 2.75. It'll be less than that. He's 33, so the guy's probably only got a couple years left. Um, you know, I think there's some interesting names out there um, for, for the team to consider. Uh, Tyler Eifert, we'll see what happens with him in Cincinnati. Um, uh, even Troy Nicholas, who was in Arizona, was not a bad player when, you know, Darren Fells. Like, there's some some decent options. Um, right. And you can say the same way about uh, Sheldon Richardson, right? You can probably replace him in the aggregate. That's the term they use. So you got Baz Jones and Jaron Reed with two defensive tackles. Instead of spending maybe 10 to 12 million to 14 million on Sheldon, are you better off spending that money on two different defensive players at 7 million? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. So, so Nathan, uh, uh, um, Evan, first round pick comes up next year. Forget trading back. Don't give me that BS answer. Everyone knows that the Sixers always want to trade back. Who, like, what position do you hope that they address with that pick next year? Cornerback. Um, let me tell you why. I, I fully, I fully agree with you, Brian, uh, in, in your take on last year's draft. I think they should have drafted two corners last year. I fully, I fully agree. I think you have to completely reload that secondary. Keep Earl back there. My personal opinion. Um, but I, I think you've got to get another corner. You know, we don't know what Shed's going to look like. Obviously, I think we can confidently say that Shaq is pretty good, and I think he's going to probably be a long-term starter for us. Um, obviously, you want to keep Justin Coleman, I think, based on his play and his production. Uh, but you got to you got to have, like, a lockdown corner. And if we're going to be, like, a top 15, maybe top 18 pick, let's get a shutdown corner. Let's get another Sherman. I have no problem drafting a quarterback that high. How about you, Nathan? You still around? Yeah, I'm here. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, wide receiver? Um, you're going to let Preach go? Uh, you don't know what you have in Lockett? You uh, you always have uh, McAvoy. He's not going anywhere, uh, which is unfortunate probably. Um, but, you know, Dub's 30. Uh, and it's crazy how time flies, but like they have to start planning for that. Um, so I, I would say wide receiver. I'll throw another thing in there. I think I've said this before. I Doug Baldwin strikes me as someone who's not going to stick around, you know, for um, maybe for his whole contract. I mean, I, I think that guy's got plans beyond football, and he could be one of those guys that walks away, and it could come at any time. Okay, so you don't think it's like a football talent issue? You think it's like it's like a outside of football thing? No, I think it's absolutely an outside of football thing. I think I think, uh, and this is just me, you know, um, uh, hypo hypothesizing, but just something about the way things have changed from over the years. He's married now. Um, you know, I think he's got a plan for for after football, and and I think that depending on what happens with the rest of the team, that could expedite that. So I think wide receiver is an interesting one. Um, just a follow up with you real quick, Nathan, you've been a huge Paul Richardson fan. Are you saying that they don't resign him because we're saying they wouldn't, or are you saying you don't think that they should resign him at this point? Uh, he's another guy that I'd love to kind of see come back. 
but it's just about price. I mean, his injury history, um, all that stuff, you have to be careful with him. Um, and so if he is determined to go get paid, I think he's shown enough that he probably can, and then he'll price himself out. I'd love to see him back. Um, he's another guy where, you, you know, you talk about guys that you think can be contributors on the next great Seahawks team. I think he's a guy that can be around for that. Uh, so, you know, if, if they're willing to spend there, it's not going to make me sad. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I see Richardson as a guy that if the Seahawks were close, like um, you kick him around because he's a great fit. All that stuff makes sense. But given that you need to basically rebuild in a lot of places, I don't see him as a core guy. I don't see him as a guy that you can just depend on and know he's going to be there and he's worth spending, you know, eight to 10 million on, um, you know, per year. So to me, he's a middle-class player and I want to, and that's kind of like one thing I've been thinking a lot about as we approach this next off season is I think we got in trouble when we signed Curse, when we signed Ruben and when we signed Lane, those were all three middle-class players. I am really trying to, or at least I'm, I'm really hoping that the Seahawks avoid this middle class. And I, I think P. Rich is middle class. I, I don't, I don't think anybody would consider him. He's upper middle class. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I, I just think, it, like you said, though, it comes down relative to cost. If he's going to be ten million a year, I'm not cool with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Who would, what position would you hope that they'd, you know, call out on on a draft day first first round pick it's weird saying this but safety um can's future is completely uncertain i i don't think he'll be back with the team i don't know if he'll ever play again earl's future looks totally up in the air i i, I know I, all of us want to keep him i would earl's my favorite player i said earlier but his deal comes up next year everything we're hearing seems like he wants to get a big big salary to stick around if you don't have Earl and you don't have Cam, I know we, a lot of us like Delano Hill. But the way this defense is built, they need those safeties. And you need young, hungry, fast players in that secondary corner would be great, as Evan said. But if you're potentially losing Earl and Cam in the next two years, you need to start replenishing that. Quickly. To me, if, I'd be happy with any front seven player as well. But to me, that's kind of a framing area going forward, as weird as that is to say for this team. It's funny. It's funny. One of the positions I first thought about as well, and then I remember that the Seahawks drafted two safeties last year, and Delano Hill is a guy who I actually, in, from the little bit I have seen of him, you know, in training camp and preseason, I'd be willing to roll the dice. Not saying that you only have him, but I, I think that he could be the guy that you start next year. I absolutely let Bradley McDougal go. He's, he's on the older side. He's not old, but he's on the older side. Um, and, you know, if you can get him for really inexpensive, I think McDougal would be great to keep around, but but I would likely move on. Um, and, ha- and, you know, elevate Delano Hill. Tedrick Thompson, uh, you know, Nathan and I have been pretty clear our, our perspectives on him. Um, you know, I, I don't see him as a – he is no Earl Thomas, um, not that anyone really is, but uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I, if you can find, I guess <laughs> my skepticism there is, man, Earl Thomas is a generational talent, and I don't yeah. think you're just going to find another safety like him um, around. So, um, I think they're they're likely going to pick around 19 or so, you know, high teens, low 20s, whatever it'll be. Um, 
if that's the case, yeah, I mean, I think if they found a great safety, I think you're right. That would be huge. Um, but other than that, wow. I mean, what position would help this team the most be competitive next year? If you could find it, defensive lineman. Like, no doubt. I mean, that's without knowing what Malik McDowell, like assuming he's never going to play because it just seems to be up and down, but assuming he's never going to play, I don't see a real plan there. Like, Naz Jones and Jaron Reed are fine. Those guys are never going to be – they don't look like they're ever going to be game-wrecking types of defensive tackles. They look like they're going to be really solid potential starting starters or rotational players. Um, but you need you need more pass rush. I mean, you just do. Frank Clark is really all that you've got uh, other than Michael Bennett. Um, so I think that would probably be number one. But here's another one, guys. I mean, I think that the team should be considering moving. Don't like, say it. Don't say running back. Don't say running back. I'm not. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. <laughs> I, I tend to be in the, the category, Nathan, of like, I think you can get running backs anywhere in the draft. And I know a lot of people disagree with that. And there's been research both ways, but Chris Carson was seventh round pick. Thomas Rawls was undrafted. Um, you got Marshawn Lynch for a fourth round pick. Um, even if he was a first round pick initially, um, you know, Chris Warren, I don't know. You can go on down the line. Like a lot of these running backs can be caught in different places. Yep. If Adrian Peterson falls to you um, and he's a huge game breaker, then, then maybe, but but pretty unlikely. Um, yes, and Nathan P uh, on the chat is mentioning Rod Smith being an undrafted free agent. God, that is the guy. Uh, really, like I hated it as soon as they let him go. I, I he was exactly the kind of player I wanted the Seahawks to keep, but. They kept Thomas Rawls, and I thought I was totally going to hate it, and he was actually pretty good. So who knows? Anyway, um, the other thing I was going to say is um, I think that they should consider trading K.J. Wright. Um, I, I think that he's young enough and talented enough and injury-free enough that um, he could be of some value to another team. I don't know how much how high of a draft pick you could get for him, but um, – they're really thin at linebacker. I mean, I think Will Hoyt's been okay, but not great. Um, and I'd be interested in seeing if they could start restocking that group with with uh, some more playmakers as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Last thing, I know we're kind of going long on time here. Let's let's wrap up with a couple things here. Offensive line, we can't go too far without talking about that group. You know, assume George Fant comes back next year. Um, where, how do you want to see that play out? Like, how? Do, let's just leave it open ended. How do you want to see the Seahawks handle the offensive line? Who do you keep? Um, what positions do you try to strengthen? And, and Nathan, let's start with you. Uh, the one thing I care about is getting rid of Tom Cable. I don't think. I mean, it's. I know, but like, I don't think that he's shown that with. He has a first rounder a first rounder, a second rounder, a second rounder, and a first rounder on his offensive line right now. And it just completely shit the bed against the Rams. Like, what are you waiting to see with this guy? So I don't care what you do other than get rid of Tom Cable. If a new guy comes in and he's like, these guys don't fit my scheme, great. Let him get his guys. If a new guy comes in and he's like, Tom Cable with a joke, we can make a good line out of this. Great. Let him do that. But 
until you fix your or or whatever they decide the problem is right like i, I was talking with a buddy today and <clears throat> talking about just wanting to see them show, shake up on the coaches and like while i don't like tom cable um and i prefer bevel between the two if they decided to fire bevel promote cable to just be just a straight up offensive coordinator and then hire an offensive line coach i'm kind of okay with that just because at some point they need to do something so whatever they decide the problem is if there's a scout they need to fire or, or something that is leading to these problems i mean i don't think it's a scouting issue because again we've seen so many different players come through and so many different types of players come through but like they need to they need to fix their scheme they need to fix their coaching and i don't think anything that they do on the line personnel wise is going to matter until they do preach anything you'd say differently evan no, I, I think Nathan absolutely hit the nail on the head. I don't trust anything this team does on the offensive line, whether it's in free agency, the draft, trades, whatever. I don't trust a single thing they do. Not a single one. Tom Cable needs to go. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to trust anything they have done. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not a hot take. It's, it's based on evidence. Like, There's so much investment in this offensive line, both draft picks in you know salary cap dollars they should be good it doesn't make sense yeah and it's a position group you can fix quickly and you look at the rams they got their left tackle they got a new center pretty much the rest of the personnel is the same all of a sudden they're a very good offensive line the vikings the vikings had a worse offensive line last year than seattle they bring in a new coach a couple new they bring in a new center and new tackles They've had a really good year up front. But for me, one position, yeah. One position just, I'd like to – Yeah, one position I'd like Sorry, to see – <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, like, Brian mentioned this – I saw him mention this today. I know we, Max Unger gets a ton of credit on our – all of Seattle fans love the guy. I think losing James Carpenter has been a huge factor too. Left guard since he's left has been a revolving door. They've had four different starts. Three different starters the last three years. It was Britt. One year it was supposed to be Alvin Bailey, ended up being Britt. Last year was who started last year? Left guard. Uh, Glow. Glow. Yeah, Glow was unfit to play left guard. This year's Jokel. Jokel's probably not coming back. So now you're gonna have four new starters in four years. It was a it was a revolving door before Carpenter. Remember, he was a left tackle, and then he moved to left guard. And they had who they have? Uh, the redheaded, weird-looking dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they and then be, I think they had like Chester Pitts at one point. Like, it's been Robert a gallery. There you go. Yeah, like, I like the It's an important position, and you're gonna have Britt for a while. I assume Dwayne Brown's gonna be here at least another couple of years. You can't just keep throwing a new guy every year and talk about preaching continuity. And I'd like to see them find some long-term solutions because here's the thing, guys. Uh, I'm concerned that they're going to sign Luke Jokel. <laughs> you know, they signed him before. I think they've been happy with him. Um, they're paying him eight million bucks this year. He's 26 years old. I could see them talking themselves into it. We need continuity. I, I think that would be a major, major mistake. Um, I don't think he's nearly good enough to. I don't think he's worth half the money. I think he's worth maybe half the money that they've spent on him. And, um, you know, we'll see what he gets in the open market. Um, but I think it'd be a big mistake to, to re-sign him. Um, 
I would like to see George Fant at right tackle. I think George Fant, um, I'm expecting him to make a recovery physically. I just think he's a great athlete and I think he's an interesting right tackle. Um, I think that Afedi could then slide back into guard and I'm not as down on Afedi as everybody else. And I was way down on Afedi heading into this season. I've been impressed with some of the strides he's made overall, um, you know, in his first year at right tackle. Um, you know, for much of the season, this is a guy that had given up one sack and, and you know, uh, only one quarterback hit or a couple quarterback hits. And I think the, the wheels have kind of fallen off the past few weeks. Um, he had started to address his penalty situation, uh, you know, and look, you guys are, I know that it's, it's, you know, I've, I've led the pile on Tom Cable. Uh-oh. Did Brian cut out? We lost Brian. You guys hear me? Oh, you're back. G-Chat right. was like, we're not listening to any Tom Cable apology. <laughs> Even my microphone doesn't <laughs> yeah, your, your technology just revolted on you. So maybe you just uh, stuck that point. It's true. Yeah. But I think it's unfair to say that, that nothing Tom Cable's done is, is worked. I mean, and that we can't trust anything he does. Um, look, Justin Britt was. Oh, you cut out again. Justin Britt Brilliant. was uh, drafted oh, and tackle and failed, and he was drafted, at, and then he played guard and he failed, and then Cable, Cable was like, "Well, what the hell else is there?" And he was smart enough to know there was a center, and uh, so he stuck him at center, and it's been okay. <laughs> Continuity, though. That was where you're going with that, right, Brian? How did it go with James Carpenter, who you're just calling out was good, like at a left guard? Like he was at right tackle. They moved him around. He started to evolve and learn the position and, and became a decent left guard. I think J.R. Sweezy was a decent right guard and got paid accordingly for it. I think that um, you know when Max Unger was here, that did they did pretty well. I think Breno Giacomini was a good find and a serviceable right tackle when he was around. Um, so I don't think it's been quite as, you know, totally dismal as you guys are painting it, painting the picture. And I think that, um, uh, where, where I think that they've made huge mistakes is in the personnel department. And I think primarily, and, uh, cable is. The reason I, I do think that the the Seahawks that front office drafts for their coaches, and um, I think Tom Cable's been feeding them some pretty crappy um, information about that. And I think for whatever reason, Tom Cable has not wanted to have older linemen. You know, for you know, I, I've talked about it with Brock a little bit. Um, I, I know his feelings. Like, there's some theories about that. I think they just completely blew it in how they approached um, veteran offensive linemen. Dwayne Brown, you know, they finally bring in vet vet guy there. And I, I think even though he had a really bad game this past week, you know, I, I want him around. I definitely would would keep him around um, and and see if you can build other places. So, yeah, fine. You know, Tom Cable can leave. I don't see a lot of great offensive line coaches out there. I think a lot of offensive lines are struggling. Um, I, I struggle with the whole concept about, like, you know, let's move on from Pete Carroll. Um, you know, which I've heard as well. People got a really short memory. Um, I don't think people really understand or at least remember how hard it is to find somebody who really understands how to build a system and build a team around a philosophy. You know, Jim Mora, 
I mean, he was here one year. That guy was a disaster. You know, I've seen Tom Flores. I've seen, you know, uh, you know Dennis Erickson. Like, you, you look around the league, and I don't think Sean McVay, everyone talks about Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, he inherited an incredibly talented roster, like, that was young and ready to be, you know, turned on. I don't think that all of a sudden if Sean McVay came in here that the Seahawks would all of a sudden be ready to contend next year. I don't think that's the issue. Um, so unless you have someone like Dan Quinn waiting in the wings to step up, I, I don't understand why anybody would be in, in favor of seeing Pete Carroll move on. It's just a question of how he manages his coaching staff, I think. Uh, you know, if he's going to continue to protect Tom Cable, if he's going to – I mean, there are, like I said, I prefer Bevel over Cable, but there are a lot of question marks with Bevel, right? And do I think that the right thing to do is to go chase the new Sean McVay for a head coach? Maybe not. Probably not. I, I don't. But is the right thing to do to go find a Sean McVay that can replace Daryl Bevel? I think you would have a significantly better team this year if you had a McVay or a Shanahan or one of those types. And then, you know, you get to the question, will Pete ever go that way, right? Does he, does his philosophy allow for that kind of a coach? And so, you know, I, I'm not in any rush to get Pete out of here. I agree that, like, you know, I think continuity is important in the coach. I think he's shown the CEO mentality that you need. Um, his partnership with Schneider has been great. Um, but at some point, this team needs to continue to evolve. And I don't think you've seen this team evolve. I think you've seen this team stagnate. And so at what point does that become a problem? And what, at what point does that become a Pete problem? Yeah, no, no doubt that Pete, Pete has protected his coaches more than I think is appropriate. You know, I, I'm not going to stand up here and say that Darrell Bevel should be around. I'm not going to stand up here and say that Tater should be the uh, quarterback coach. Um, I'm not even going to say that Chris Richard should be the defensive coordinator. You know, I think Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn were at one level of defensive coordinator and Chris Richard is like, you know, he was like a rookie coming in and, and is like maybe in his second or third year of development. But I don't think he's I don't think he projects to be any anything close to a Dan Quinn um, as a defensive coordinator. But Evan, I saw you shaking your head and, and nodding at times. You know, w w any thoughts you want to add on the coaching staff as we kind of wrap things up here? Yeah, I just uh, the one thing on the offensive line with Tom Cable and replacements and all that type of stuff. Remember how the Patriots hired um, their former offensive line coach, like out of retirement. His name was like Garnecchia, right? Yes, and they had like a horrible offensive line. Brady was getting hit like a record amount of times the previous year, and the next year, all of a sudden, they're good again and they're protecting Brady. I would let me tell you right now, Howard Mudd just moved to Kirkland a few years ago. I would rather have 75, 76-year-old Howard Mudd than Tom Cable. That's who I'd hire. You, you want to speak about replacement? Let's, let's, let's hire Howard Mudd. <laughs> 75 years old. I don't care. I mean, they did, right. that, they did go that, down that road once with Alex Gibbs. But, I mean, sure. Uh, you know, take a shot. Why not? I mean, current, current, current things aren't improving. Right. I mean, sounding desperate, guys. Sounding desperate. <laughs> I am desperate. No, I am 100% oh, no. desperate. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, any, any closing thoughts as we start, uh, start wrapping up here? I think you almost have to wonder if Pete wants to be back. 
he's 60, what, 66 years old. Um, the team is about to go through a re, not a rebuilding phase, but almost a retooling phase. And you're going to have to go through probably some tough times where the fans are used to playing at a certain level. And Pete's 66. He's been doing this thing for a long time. He's been successful as hell. I think he should stay here as long as he wants to based on what he he's done and based on how hard it is to find a guy to replace him. But I have some questions in the back of my mind wondering how much longer does he want to be here with a team that is going to have to rebuild the defense, and that's his baby. And that's at this point in his life, I don't know per se if he wants that. So I, I have some thoughts wondering about that. I have a fear that if he did leave that they would promote Tom Cable. That scares the crap out of me. Just I know how highly they view him in the organization and based on the way they pump him up. I'd love to see a guy like an, a brighter offensive mind or a younger coaching staff come in and Pete leave, but that is my thought on Pete. I think he should be here as long as he wants. I know people say his style might be outdated. The Rams just beat you with his style. They barely threw the ball. They barely had to pass the ball out. Jacksonville the week before, same thing. That's, that's Pete's style right there. They knocked you in the mouth. He ran the hell out of the ball. They were balancing their attack. They passed the ball. They used play action to attack the weaknesses. You can win if you have the personnel. I don't think it's a Pete issue. I think it's a, I think the personnel is what's caused Pete's thing to disappear, not Pete's coaching style. Yeah, if you really to play, you can only have one, and you can only have either Scott McLuhan or some hot young offensive coordinator. For me, it's it's Scott McLuhan. Like you know, I, I feel like they're. I feel like their their drafts just they have not been able to to hit the home runs. Like uh, they are not the team that's finding the late round hits as often. I mean, Chris Carson would have hopefully been one this year, you know. But um, fifth round used to be magic for this team, and it just it just hasn't been for a while. So um, I think part of that is. Also, Pete Carroll was coming in as a college coach and knew a lot of these players from high school for the first few years, and they had a bit of an advantage. And uh, that advantage has definitely played out. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, period here. Nathan, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, any parting shot that you'd like to, to offer before we sign off here? Don't trade Russell Wilson. <laughs> the dumbest idea. Don't do it. It's terrible. Don't do it. Well, I'm sure that Pete and John are listening and appreciate the input. So uh, thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, always fun, uh, even after that disaster. And we didn't talk at all about the game this weekend. Um, you know, not sure I really want to. So uh, I'm going to let that fly. And uh, have a great night, guys. Go Hawks. All right. Go Hawks. Take care. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.